I'm sure you've heard this before. Be a man, man up, boys will be boys. All of these are an interpretation of what masculinity is. But are these just excuses for bad behavior, misogyny, or even violence? Today on Better Off Balanced, we're talking masculinity with Dr. Obari Cartman, who is the president of the Chicago Association of Black Psychologists. We talk about the idea of toxic masculinity, why acting strong can actually make you weak, and the slap scene around the world, Will Smith at the Oscars. Dr. Obari Cartman, welcome to Better Off Balanced. And let's begin with a definition. How do you define masculinity? Mm, masculinity is very much the same way I define humanness. I think there's a lot of overlap between just where humans are. Um, I think that a lot of times we create categories around what men do that seem like they're distinctions from what women do. But all of the things that I define as masculinity are things that are very much human things, having integrity, um, being honest, um, being consistent, being able to communicate well. I personally include being very emotional and clear about those emotions, being able to express them uh, with, 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 uh, in, in alignment with uh, how we truly feel. All that is a part of my definition of, of masculinity. Yeah, you're making the distinction between physical traits versus behavioral traits. Uh, the ones that, that we've mm -hmm. kind of learned of what a man should be uh, over yeah. the years, whether it's through Hollywood or literature yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or our own families. Uh, how do you think that defini definition has changed over the years? I think there's certainly a moment we're in. We're certainly in a sort of radical, revolutionary, transformative moment around how we even talk about what a, ma a man is. And I think some of that is good. I think most of it is good. The toxic masculinity idea has left some men feeling like just being in a male body is deficient by itself. Like there's something inherently wrong about being man. We talk about patriarchy, we talk about sexism, which are really important conversations, but I think we need to do it in a way that does not leave men feeling like they're broken. Because I don't think that's true. It just means we need to have new considerations. And I do think this is happening. I think that this generation um, is moving us towards wrestling with some of those old fashioned sort of cultural ideas about manliness that I, I think were, were kind of rigid. Uh, they, they were, uh, we would call, talk about the demand box sometimes, um, that if you step outside of this this narrow window of how you define yourself, then you're no longer a real man or you're not a manly enough. Um, those kind of things, I think that we're wrestling with in ways that I think that uh, are positive. And you might hear people still say, when a man is emotional, he's tapping into his feminine side. Um, I think that those categories are are misleading. And I think that we're breaking away some of the, the the rigid binary gender coded language and understanding of who we are. And I think that's good. I think that, you know, it, we, we need to shake some things up. So when you talk to boys these days, mm -hmm. what do they think it means to be a boy or a man? And do you think, what do you think they imagine is expected of them? Well, there's a lot of different kinds of boys. So I'll start there. I'm um, in Chicago, and depending on what school I'm in, what neighborhood I'm in, um, I hear very different types of conversations about man manhood. If it's something that's more uh, called street, more hood, if it's the sort of what we might consider a lower class, more vulnerable, disinvested neighborhood, uh, those boys are still very much in the traditional sense of talking about manhood, uh, which is macho and aggressive and um, not so tender. Um, 
But if I go to another conversation or another neighborhood, um, they, they might be more in alignment with, I don't know, what seems to be the more progressive conversation about manhood and uh, reading things about feminism and talking more about mental health and those kind of things. And so there's a range. Uh, I think that the conversation social media is making it so that people have access to new ideas about manhood and that some of that is getting to some kids and some of it's not. Um, but there's still very much, you know, a traditional sense from most boys I talk to about trying to figure out how to become a man, what that looks like. And a lot of it still is very superficial. So we talk, I hear a lot of things around like size or um, things you have or things you can do. Um, not as much around the internal characteristics like integrity and honesty and compassion and nurturing. Um, but what I, what I do hear often is, is a lot of, I'll call it confusion. Um, I'll call it a lack of clarity and uh, a lack of standards that seems evident to me in conversations with a lot of young men. And a lot of the, the young men I'm talking to just really don't know or have you no know, clear definition or certainly no clear understanding of that transmission from one stage to the next. Um, I've heard some kind of ridiculous things around, you know, the first time I had sex or first time I you know, did something violent or first time I got locked up, like some really dysfunctional things have become the substitute for the transition into manhood. It seems to me that manhood is a lot of times defined in the negative in the sense that mm. what you can't do when you're a man, you can't cry, you can't be weak, mm -hmm, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera, yeah. rather than yeah. what you should be, like the things you're saying. You should uh, have integrity, you should be tender, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Uh, what do you think that kind of dynamic does to a young boy who is becoming a man when they're told what they can't do? It just leaves them without guidance. It just leaves them kind of like making it up as they go along and using whatever like pieces of either actual men in their world or figures, influencers of, of sort of male images on TV or the radio or rap music or athlete. They Men kind of find themselves, young men without without the what you should do, what you're supposed to do, find themselves kind of just left wandering. And then there's this discovery process, this curiosity about how do I be this thing that I clearly I am and, and I'm becoming and, this, and, and, and there's this journey into this thing, um, but within without guideposts, without like models, it's hard to do it. I think it's a, a huge void. I think it's a, a real problem that we don't give instruction in that way. That we don't give at least guidance in that way. If we had more opportunities for intergenerational dialogue, where young men would see a menu of older men and could pick and choose, like, okay, this is, that works for me. I fit that, that, that makes sense to me. I can, I can extract that from this man and then this piece from this man and sort of put together a version of an ideal man based on what he is doing and what he is, how he is showing up and not have the, the voids or the the question marks, um, I think that we would be moving a lot further with sort of some structure. And we kind of have been inching into this conversation for about five years since the mm -hmm. in the wake of Me Too. We heard that yeah. term that you used a moment ago, a term that maybe had only been used in, in gender studies uh, classes, toxic mm -hmm. masculinity. Mm -hmm. That's now permeates yeah. uh, the discussion. Um, how do you define that? What, what does it mean to be, uh, to be toxically masculine? What I think about the toxic masculinity is really around 
the extremes. I do think it's a good thing that men can be strong when it's time to be strong. But to take that strength and turn it into dominance is toxicity. To um, have an aggression that is abusive or that has sort of impacts someone else in a way that makes them feel smaller or harms them, that's when it becomes toxic, like poison. Like, it's, you know, uh, there could be a, a certain amount of an element that is medicinal, but once it's too much, then it turns corrosive. Can you think of, of particular examples where it might be beneficial or there might be some good to it? For example, if you were talking to your son who was bullied in a class or something, when is it okay to tell him to fight back or to stand up for himself? So, so that's what's interesting about that. I would tell my son and my daughter to stand up if someone is harming you, to be aggressive when you need to be aggressive. That's why it's hard to say it's a masculine thing. It's really very much a human thing. You need to protect yourself. You need to learn how to fight. You can't be, you know, tossed around. Like you have to be strong and firm physically, internally, emotionally, spiritually. Like you have to have strength. And that's not a bad thing. And in some ways, the, the misinterpretation of masculinity is on the part of the bully, right? The person who's mm. using their strength or their power to diminish mm -hmm. someone else. Um, how yeah, do you think yeah. that, that misinterpretations of masculinity lead to problems in society in general? I think part of it has to do with like the structure of society and, you know, the, the capitalism as a as a system requires hierarchies. And because of that, because of the hierarchies, that that toxicity turns into dominance, turns into power over, turns into a, not just a healthy competition where people are just sharpening each other's swords, but someone's trying to defeat someone else. And those, those subtle ways that that happens in the classroom or in social interactions sort of build up to these larger systems, which turns into systemic oppression, turns into, you know, inequities, turns into, you know, those sort of structural hierarchies that I think young people see very clearly and then either try to find themselves within or just accept that that's their place or try to change if they want to. Um, but I think that that creates a pressure to try to always level up. And level up doesn't mean we are moving together. It means that if I win, that means there has to be a loser. Um, and I think that that design causes lots of problems. And unfortunately, in that power dynamic, the losers tend to be women. We see it in classrooms, Absolutely. in boardrooms, uh, Hollywood. Uh, the world of sports yeah. where male power is asserted over women in all kinds of different ways, whether it's sexual, whether it's uh, just in terms of their salaries. How do you see these, uh, to use that phrase again, misinterpretations of masculinity uh, affecting women? Misinterpretations makes it feel a little bit like aloof. Um, I think there's sometimes a very deliberateness about the way men hold space, take position, take advantage of those ca characteristics of masculinity in other words they know the exactly what they're structures. doing yeah they're not they're not uh misinterpreting anything they know exactly what they're doing yeah 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 yeah. absolutely and i think they do that to stay in power to keep the resources to maintain advantage um to to position themselves to stay winning and using infrastructure to make sure that maintains itself and so i you know i think that impacts everything i think that impacts the ecosystem it impacts the you know, the air we breathe, but certainly the people 
uh, on this planet, um, certainly the, the more vulnerable ones that have been left out of the structures of power of equality, which means women, certainly, uh, which means people of color in certain instances, which means um, people of different, differing sexualities. I mean, there's so many different categories where people get left out. And the people that are in control, that want to maintain that control, again, very deliberately, using their masculinity, their, their, their race, using their money to hold that power, um, causes a ripple effect of harm, you know, for, for generations. And, you know, when you think about people taking pride in, in being a man, uh, mm -hmm. I wanted to, to look at a couple things here and just make sure we, uh, we touch on this. Women outnumber men when it comes to being mm -hmm. in college. Men are more likely to have unhealthy habits when it comes to their diet, alcohol, other types of risks. So where's the, where's the pride in, in masculinity when it comes to those things? Uh, why, why aren't we dealing with that as men? There's a mythology, there's an illusion that's required to maintain a system of power that isn't based in reality. Like it's not, I mean, those stats just suggest that this illusion of superiority is not, a, is not a real thing. When you're talking male superiority, white superiority, it's not real. Um, American superiority on the planet, like those things have to, there's a narrative that is required to convince the world and ourselves sometimes of our masculine advantage because the reality is that we all just you know we are all either the same or in some places physically superior intellectually you know inferior um but if we are trying to stay up on top keep the advantage maintain resources then part of that means lying like flat out some of it just means ignoring the facts it means telling a different story than the truth um and i think that america i think men i think patriarchy requires that to sustain itself. So I guess that gets to what you're trying to do, which is tell the truth to the next generation and have mm -hmm. open discussions about these things. Uh, tell us about yeah. the, the youth program that you run and the kinds of discussions that you're having about these topics with them. So I do a lot of different types of youth programs. Um, I try to, so my, my background is psychology, so I do a lot of work in the mental health field and as a psychologist, people expect me to come in with a certain sort of framework. People, I do. I, I like to go into prisons. I like to go into detention centers. I like to go to those places where the young men have been most traumatized, and the the system responds to that trauma with control and a, a certain type of violence. And so I try to go through there, cut through that, and, and bring us a, a level of nurturance and compassion and patience and relationship and care uh, to those places where there, you know, there's a lot of lack of that. Um, and in that work, you know, a lot of the work is very much, you know, not the traditional mental health. I think mental health as a field is still very individual based where we help people make better decisions, which is good, help people sort of breathe and be more mindful, which are good things, but it, it keeps the system in place by not teaching people the historical context, the social, political, economic context that created the conditions where the individual dysfunction manifests. The young mind needs a lot of engagement. So I do a lot of programming where I bring clips and we watch movies. We um, sort of have like a TikTok mind in mind. So a lot of short clips, a lot of uh, music, printout lyrics, whatever it is. But the conversations are always about what are the the truths, what are the internal truths and what are the external truths that can help us move forward as a collective? It's interesting you talk about the images and the ingrained ideas that we have. Uh, I'm guessing you're probably a little bit younger than I am, but 
I grew up in the 80s when Hollywood celebrated people like um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and Jean-Claude Van Damme, these kind of ultra, like, red-blooded, muscular, very violent people. The WWF, there was a guy named the Macho Man. Um, Thinking about being in Chicago, Mike Ditka is kind of the embodiment of the tough guy that will hit you in the face if you, you you know, say the wrong thing. Um, But on your website, there's a picture of you wearing a shirt that reads, uh, Men Cry, Care, Read, Love, think, build, laugh, and forgive. What is the message behind that? And I wonder if you're you're actively trying to go against those kind of stereotypes uh, that of the types of people that I just listed that that we grow up mm-hmm. thinking we're supposed to be like. I mean, because they're presented as really cool, and it makes it admirable, and it makes it be like, okay, not not only that's what I'm supposed to be, but that's the desire, that's the epitome of what a man is. And the truth about that is that that was never healthy um, to always be, to always be that, to always sort of be macho and on guard and to be in charge. It's just that it's just not the truth. And so I, what I try to teach is that there's a power in the truth that is really, really masculine. It's really, really strong. Um, and there's versions of strength that can that look different in different contexts. And if you only have this one version, then there's there's consequences to that. Like you lose, like your your, your physical body breaks down because you're un, unable to be soft when it's time to be soft, to breathe when it's time to breathe, to be sad when it's time to be sad. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to just, you know, I say men cry on the shirt. It doesn't mean you cry just because somebody stepped on your shoe. It doesn't mean I teach my sons to go to work and if somebody reprimands them that you cry in the middle of the meeting. Like it's, you still you still have to hold a certain level of external presentation. Like, I'm, I, I, I don't never pretend like that men can just always be free to feel and be authentic. That's not the, the world we live in. We do need to have spaces where we do, uh, are honest, where we're just completely honest. We, we've all been through a pandemic for a couple of years. If you're not a little sad, if you weren't a little afraid sometimes, if there's no anxiety, like there's so many reasons to be anxious. And so if you just always have to pretend that I'm nothing but strong and, and contained and everything's fine and nothing impacts me, that one is a lie and a lie that actually makes you weaker. It actually, you know, that 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 burden, that stress still sits inside your kidneys. It's going to rest in your pancreas. It's still going to show up in your body somewhere. And so that outward strength, that puffing up the chest is not actual strength. And so it's really about, the, again, the, the truth. It's really about, like, teaching what is the truth because I want men to be really actually strong, not Hollywood strong, not masking strong. I want you to be actually strong. And sometimes, you know, it means being vulnerable. Sometimes it means being sad. Sometimes it means grieving. Um, sometimes it doesn't mean having it all together. And, that's, and not only is that fine, but that is actually real strength. And so that's what my work is attempting to do. Yeah, I think there's something to that idea that every lie you tell, you're building up a debt to the truth. And it, at some point, you mm-hmm. have to pay that mm-hmm. debt and, and deal with it. Yeah, and yeah. it comes out in some way. Yeah. How important is the positive male figure, whether it's a father, an uncle? Uh, there are obviously a lot of kids growing up without uh, a father figure in their lives. Uh, could you talk about that role and, and how that helps 
kids define what it means to be a man if you actually have someone in your life that you can look up to that's not somebody that you just see on the sidelines of an NFL game or you know in a movie or whatever it's super important the the power in it is the individual validation that i believe everyone needs it's a human thing to desire to be seen to be heard, to be acknowledged, to be validated. Sometimes we, we, we complain about, or we have a negative connotation of this attention-seeking thing that happens. But I think it's a normal thing. I think that we are, we're interdependent, that we are collective people, that we require community and support. So this, this fallacy that I can get to a place where I don't care what nobody thinks, that I'm just gonna do whatever I want, and don't, it don't matter. Like that's the, that, that is an illusion too, that's a, a, a lie in and of itself. And so to have a male figure whether it's an actual biological father or uncle or a mentor or someone that can that can individually attend to your beingness, I think is a developmentally necessary thing. I think that people need to see versions of themselves represented outside of themselves to know what to move towards. It doesn't always have to mean like the the, the you know the richest or the most successful or you know uh, it can just be someone that's present that cares, that's willing to listen, that can be like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure this out too. We can do it together. Like I don't have all the answers, but I see you. I care about your well-being. There's no replacement for a person in your life that cares. Uh, I think it's critical. Let's talk a little bit about um, the effect that language and the, the language that we use has on this conversation. For example, the phrase, mm -hmm. be a man. Uh, you mm -hmm. hear that, or at least I heard that a lot growing up. Um, yeah, 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 this idea yeah. of toughness, of strength, of being fearless, those all sound like good qualities to me. Do you think any of these phrases now have become problematic? And, and when we use them, is it is in different ways now? Or do, you, do we frown upon them? How does that change the way we use language and talk about the qualities of what it means to be a man? The language is important. I think it also depends on the context and the meaning and the interpretation of the language. So if I could say, be a real man, I would want us to make sure we are on the same page about what that means. And I mean, I might mean a different thing when I say man up. I might mean, you know, make sure you're taking care of your kids. Like, man up, boy, like, just be a man. It, which don't mean, like, you might hear man up and it might hit, make you, draw you back to these notions of sort of toxic masculinity or this rigid box of masculinity. But it's more important to me to really unpack the language, to unpack the, the concept. Uh, I believe that we're at a moment of reconceptualizing what manhood is. And so the language should reflect that. Um, so if we need to move away from the language that is connected to an older conceptualization, then I think that's, you know, th 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 there's good in that. Um, but I also think that it's, it's more important to me that we are having the more sophisticated conversations about what it really means, like, you know, to, to make sure we, we on the same page. So that when I say man up, more people know what I mean when I say that. I, I mean, be emotional, man up, be emotional, right? Be a real man, which means be honest, which means, you know, take care of what you got to take care of, which means take breaks when you got to take breaks, which means be soft, which means all of that. Um, so it's, it's really the conceptualization that I spend a lot of time on. Um, so that the language can match sort of that growth, that development. And sometimes implied within that phrase of manning up or, or being a man is the unsaid part of it, deal with it, figure it out kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. think that's kept people from, men in particular, boys, from dealing with depression, anxiety, seeking therapy, 
thinking they just have to deal with their issues themselves because they're a man. Like, hey, I can't mm-hmm. get help with this. I do think, I think that has kept men from seeking help, um, from acknowledging the, the, the pain. Uh, and again, I would want us to evolve to a place where when I say deal with it, I mean all of that. I mean, deal with it emotionally. I mean, deal with it uh, philosophically, intellectually. I mean, deal with it means get a support system. Um, it's, it's just sort of the, the embedded understandings of what we mean need to shift. And so if, if we are clear, if the, the, the older men in the community have demonstrated that part of what it means to be successful doesn't mean just I pop up out of nowhere and now I got all this money and these jobs, but it means that I've been honest about the process. Where I've shared the rejections. I've talked about the disappointments. When you scroll on my, on my social media, you might see me winning awards, or you might see me, you know, what I'm saying traveling and, and and going on trips. And you might think, man, I, he he figured it out. He has dealt with it in a way that I can't, or haven't figured out that I don't have the capacity to, or don't have the support system to. But I think that that's why it's important for us as, as men as sort of the, the, our generation and older needs to sort of demystify this process um, to, to, to say when I, the way I've dealt with it, the way I've gotten this far, the way I've achieved whatever I've achieved has included the ups and downs, the, the highs, the lows, it's included being sad, it's included being lonely, um, just being honest, like being real for real. So, so when I say I've been a real man, that has meant the constellation of human experiences that we all go through that maybe my father pretended like he didn't go through. Like I didn't hear my father talk about the stress. Um, when I grew up, I could only imagine how much stress my father was going through, but we didn't have those conversations. I didn't know if he was sad when he was scared. I didn't know none of that stuff. Those kind of things have to be included in what we mean as men when we say be a real man, man up, deal with it. It doesn't mean fake it. It doesn't mean dis- dismiss it. It doesn't mean certainly doesn't mean pretend like it's not real or pretend like it didn't hurt. Um, all of that needs to be a part of how we are defining these processes and these uh, definitions of manhood. All right, let's move on to the uh, kind of pop culture example of this. I know you've discussed it a few times, the the Will Smith slap. Oh, um, yeah. So just to, to kind of give the background here, of course, everybody knows what happened. Uh, Chris Rock makes a joke about Will Smith's wife and goes up uh, on stage at the Oscars and slaps Chris Rock. There's one interpretation of of this that just says Will Smith was flat out wrong to use violence in this situation, that if he had a problem, he should have addressed it afterwards, uh, had a conversation. But there's another interpretation that he was defending his wife, that he was doing what you're supposed to do as a man. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I understand both interpretations. I have a preference. I would want the first thing to do, he would do, would be to turn to her and ask her what she needs in that moment. If it's really about her, then I would want to center her need and her idea and what she wants to happen in his response. Um, he, he didn't even look at her. He didn't even turn that her way. He immediately went into his sort of recollection of what he thinks that he's supposed to do as a man. And a lot of that was based on what he was unable to do as a young man to defend his mother. I read his book, and so he talked about that powerlessness of of not being able to protect his mother when he needed to. And then we've been watching his whole career where he's been sort of characterized as soft and weaker and all those kind of things. Um, So I think those things kick in. So now now you're working against a narrative to prove yourself. And once you're proving yourself, now you now there's got there's an element of performance in it. 
it's not about protecting your wife. It's about protecting your ego, your your image. Um, and when that happens, you know, he you make silly decisions. I believe it would be much more manly, much more strong for him to stand up in that moment, walk onto the stage, whisper into Chris Rock's ear, don't do that. Turn around, walk back to a seat. Chris Rock immediately apologizes. Uh, you said, my bad, man. I didn't mean to you know, step on your toes. Um, the whole thing goes different. He still gets to be a man. He still gets to protect his wife. He still gets to have an affirmative reaction to a moment that he did not like. But the way you demonstrate that strength and that power, I, I, I describe it as real or, or, or presentation, as, as stronger or weak. Um, and I think that sometimes violence is necessary. I don't think that was a moment that warranted violence, that the violence itself was a weaker reaction to the offense than other things that he could have done to still protect his wife. And yet you can see hundreds of examples uh, on the Internet of women who applauded it, uh, women sure. who said that's what a man should do. Uh, yeah. That sends some mixed signals too, doesn't it? It sends, definitely sends mixed signals. Um, so for a woman to say that was sexy, her woman, that was hot, it was hot to see him do that. And a lot of my circles, a lot of my sort of on my timeline and my friend circles are, are, are black women. And what it showed me, and you know, it's something we already know, is that they, black women in particular, feel very unprotected. And I think that that response of being attracted to that moment was again, in the context of them generally feeling unprotected by society, by black men, by the world. Um, so they, it, it was a, that, that, that metaphor, the visual symbolic representation of a man standing up felt good because they live in, in a world where they feel generally vulnerable. It's a very dangerous precedent to set, to have young men listening to their mothers applaud Will Smith and then in their world think that if somebody offends my my girlfriend on Snapchat, then what my mother would have wanted is for me to go enact violence on him because that's what is desirable, not just from the men, but from the women in my life. But that precedent causes, again, lots of problems. So I think, I think we have to be much more careful about how we are considering what these symbols, these metaphors, these actions mean, particularly in our actual real lives, and with the young people, the young men that are listening, that they're that are, they're being shaped, they're being guided by the men and the women about what's appropriate, what's 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 strong, what's powerful, what's manly, and that there's you know lots of subtle and not so subtle messages within that that we are learning. Um, and again, I think some of it is is is, is unhealthy. So the last question on on this issue, uh, a lot of the attention has gone to the Will Smith slap, but not so much yeah. has gone to the restraint that Chris Rock showed. Mm -hmm. What do you think that shows about masculinity? Uh, your thoughts on on being able to stand there, take it, and not retaliate? Yeah. That was extremely manly to me, right? To use a uh, to, to be consistent with the conversation that there's a certain amount of power in restraint, that there's a, some, something about the impulsiveness of being able to be riled up, to be taken off of your square, to be, um, to be uh, taken off balance 
just because someone does something that you don't like. Even in that moment, somebody literally came and hit you in the face, right? But you, you were able to regroup, um, to pause, to take a, take a breath. There's a, a power in breath that is underestimated, that men think about the power in a, in a fist, but don't think about the power in a breath. And so the contrast between what Chris Rock did by taking a slap, taking the hit, eating it, you know, and not sort of unraveling, I consider a very, very admirable strength that I would like men to watch and think, okay, how can I have that? How can I have an internal strength? How can I have a foundational resolve? How can I have the kind of fortitude that when life hit me on the face, that when something unexpected happens, when when I get caught off guard, I can still be myself enough to not get taken out of pocket, to not just lose control and still be able to maintain my composure. That um, I, I, I would like for, for men to hear women talk about how sexy that is. Um, I think that would be more encouraging to me. Where can people find you on social media? My Instagram is ocartman1. Um, same as Twitter, uh, at ocartman1. I'm on Facebook too, just put my name in there. All right, well, as we wrap up, is there one thing that you think we can be doing better right now to be better men? I'm going to say two things, and they're together. They're simultaneous things. They're At the same time, we need to spend more time having honest conversations like this and using our voice and our platforms and our relationships to really look at these questions, to unpack, to unpeel, to wrestle with, to pick it up and put it down, to really like interrogate these questions of what it means to be whole and successful and well and men and do it with as much honesty and as many diverse ideas and thoughts to to really round out our own development as men. I think men need to talk more. Um, as men, we need to gather as men to sit in circle and just talk, to figure out what we're doing and why we're doing it and how to do it better. Um, at the same time, I think that we need to also seek more silence, more deliberate, intentional silence, where whether you call it meditation, um, whether you're sort of sitting by the lake or going in, on nature walks or with some, some way to unplug, to take away the, the scrolling, the constant cacophony of ideas, of, of just information flying at us so that we can take the time to take some breaths, to really center ourselves, to listen to our own internal guides, to find our own sort of source of wisdom to, to, to guide us forward but without the distractions, so many distractions right now. And I think that we need to slow down and to be calm and to, to learn ourselves, to sort of master ourselves in a way that begins with understanding ourselves. And I think that it requires a level of silence and peace and focus that I hope that men can get more of. Well, I think the idea of unplugging and being silent is a really appropriate place for us to stop and do just that. <laughs> Dr. Obari Cartman, thank you for your time, for your insights, and most of all, for being on Better Off Balanced. Thank you for having me. That was Dr. Obari Cartman. You can learn more about him on his website, DrObariCartman.com. He offered a lot of different ways to think about masculinity and how it can be a real strength to us, our sons, and even our daughters. Better Off Balanced is a production of WGN-TV. Jason Colon is the executive producer. Chip Brewster helped us in the studio. I'm Mike Lowe. Please subscribe to Better Off Balanced and tell a friend about it.